I'm borrowing somebody's reading glasses tonight, so or this morning, so I hope they uh, they work effectively. Um, good morning, Shiloh. I I can't see you actually now that I have my reading glasses on. So maybe that's maybe that's better. I don't know. So, um, but uh, good morning. My name is Stephen Bordenberg. This is my lovely wife um, Holly, and uh, I have the privilege of bringing the message this morning. Um, let me start by, by warning, warning you. Um, to be honest, um, I wrote portions of this message while I was swimming at the YMCA. Uh, swimming laps can get a little monotonous, and, uh, but it gives me a lot of time to think. And um, so if this message sounds a little bit water, waterlogged, um, it's, uh, it's, because it, it's because it was written underwater. So um, if, you've, if you've been here for the past, last seven uh, weeks, you'll know that um, we just wrapped up a sermon series about the names of God and, and the various meanings and, um, and we've seen everything from Steve making dishes fly through the air um, to Barb chasing Ed around the sanctuary. And, um, of course, all to illustrate a point. Um, and last week, Ed uh, wrapped up the, the series by giving us an example of how to, how to uh, apply the meanings of God's name in prayer over the upcoming election process. Um, today's message is still on the topic of names, uh, but I wanted to, to, to call it, actually I would call it an addendum to the names of God's series, but because today I'm putting a 180-degree spin on uh, where we left off. Um, instead of talking about the names of God, uh, today I want to discuss a, a series of names that God declares over Israel from Isaiah chapter 62. It's a chapter of a prophecy spoken over the Israelites that I'm guessing not many of us are familiar with. Uh, in fact, I stumbled across it when I was doing my Bible study. Um, but the words were spoken over 2,700 years ago, and I believe that these names can be applied to our lives today. So let me talk about the title of the message for a minute. Um, the phrase, I cannot remain silent, comes directly out of the first verse of Isaiah 62. And what I found so compelling about the phrase, I cannot remain silent, was that right off the bat, God is revealing to us that it would go against his very nature to remain quiet. That there are things to be said that can't be held back any longer, and there are some new things about to be revealed, and you'll see what I mean as we get into it. You see, God's voice carries with it great power and authority, and when he speaks, he speaks things into existence. And I believe that what he's preparing to do through the reading of this prophetic passage today is just the same. Let me give you a little context of where we are in the book of Isaiah. There are 66 chapters in the book of Isaiah, and the last 27 chapters have a very strong theme of salvation running through them. And you'll notice as we read through today's passage that there are many references to the Messiah, Jesus. Because if you turn back one chapter to chapter 61, you'll see where the voice of the I in the I cannot remain silent comes from. It's the, it's the passage that Jesus chooses to read at the onset of his ministry in Luke chapter 4 and see if this doesn't sound familiar. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim the captives who will be released and the prisoners who will be freed. He has sent me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord." Now, Jesus had just returned to Nazareth after being tempted in the desert for 40 days, and he enters the synagogue in his hometown, and when they hand him the scrolls to read, he reads from Isaiah 61. And after he finished, he rolls up the scroll, sits down, and says, today this scripture is fulfilled in its hearing. 
The voice of the one speaking in Isaiah 62 is the anointed one mentioned in chapter 61. So the one who says, I cannot remain silent, is Jesus himself, the Savior of the world. And let's read the text, how he's going to read for us. Isaiah 62. Because I love Zion, I will not keep still. Because my heart yearns for Jerusalem, I cannot remain silent. I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. The nations will see her righteousness. World leaders will be blinded by her glory. And you will be given a new name by the Lord's own mouth. The Lord will hold you in his hand for all to see. A splendid crown in the hand of God. Never again will you be called the forsaken city or the desolate land. Your new name will be the city of God's delight and the bride of God. The Lord delights in you and will claim you as his bride. Your children will commit themselves to you, O Jerusalem, just as a young man commits himself to his bride. Then God will rejoice over you as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. O Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on the walls. They will pray for you day and night continually. Take no rest, all who pray to the Lord. Give the Lord no rest until he completes his work, until he makes Jerusalem the pride of the earth. The Lord has shown to Jerusalem by his own strength. I will never again hand you over to your enemies. Never again will foreign warriors come and take away your grain and new wine. You raise the grain and you will eat it, praising the Lord. Within the courtyards of the temple, you will drink the wine you have pressed. Go out through the gates. Prepare the highway for the people to return. Smooth out the road. Put out the borders, raise a flag for all the nations to see. The Lord has sent this message to every land. Tell the people of Israel, look, your Savior is coming. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. They will be called the holy people, the people redeemed by the Lord, and Jerusalem will be as sought out and the city no longer forsaken. Do you ever find yourself asking the questions, how is it that I'm the object of God's affection? What could I do differently today that he would love me? Or what areas in my life are lacking in discipline or obedience? Well, there are aspects of these questions that, we, that have merit. When we focus on the fact that we continually make mistakes, there's a good chance that our relationship with God revolves around fear, reverence, and obedience, and our approach to God becomes very formal. So when Isaiah 62 comes along telling us that God sees us as a splendid crown and that he has delight in us, any doubt that we've allowed to creep in should be, any doubt that we've allowed to creep in should be replaced with the forgiveness that he gives us so freely. When he sees the areas in our lives that need to be transformed, don't panic. God has no delusions about his creation. He knows that we're prone to stumble on our journey towards righteousness, and he goes with us on that journey anyway. 
He's always working for good in our lives, and he shows us by declaring hope, possibilities, and victories over our lives before change even happens, even when we find it impossible to believe these things ourselves. And the proof of God's love is found in the promises of God, that he fights for us, he works in us, and he delights over us. So let's dive in. And there's another reference to swimming, so... Um, anyway, um, he fights for us. Let me start by saying this. The names Zion and Jerusalem have both historic and symbolic meanings through Scripture. You'll find these names in both the Old and New Testament. And since Zion and Jerusalem are synonymous with the places where the people of God meet with God or reside with him, when we see these names in verse 1, we can safely assume that God is addressing all believers. But what I wanted to point to is th- our attention to is this. Can you hear the determination of God's voice in these passages? Do you find the heart of a warrior, protector, defender in these verses? Because when I read in verse 1 that I, will not, that I will not keep still and I cannot remain silent, I see God's determination to speak and act for the sake of his people, that they might be restored I hear the heart of a warrior who is poised to fight on behalf of his people. And what's what's his goal? What's his objective? That Israel's righteousness should show forth his brightness, that they would be saved, and that their salvation would blaze like a burning torch for all nations to see. It's a phenomenal hope that God has for his creation. The imagery expressed here gives us the vision of a supernatural intent and a reminder that God wants us to share in his glory. When you read passages like this in Scripture, how do they inspire your heart? Do they reveal to you the desire of a powerful and loving God who created you in his image? Let's look at verse 8 and 9 where it says, By my right hand and by the arm of my strength. How many of us, when we are growing up, ever said, I swear on my mother's grave that... I think we should be on the slide, actually. Um, How many of us, when we're growing up, have ever said, I swear on my mother's grave that I'll... And when we said it, we felt like we were really serious, and we were really promising something. It's because when we make an oath, we always swear by something greater than ourselves. Well, we know there is no one greater than God, so when he swears by his own power, he's actually putting himself on the line. If I were to say by my right hand that I'm going to do something, that's no reason for anyone to be encouraged. In other words, it might be just another way of me saying, well, that's not going to happen. If I say to someone by my right hand, I'll be home at 5.15, there's a pretty good chance that I'll be late. But when God swears by his right hand and by by the arm of his strength, you you better believe it's going to happen because he showed us just how committed he was when he humbled himself and took on human flesh. That mighty arm of his strength was made weak, and his hands were stretched and nailed to a cross. God put himself on the line fighting for us, securing our salvation, and rescuing us from every bondage and affliction. When Jesus said, I cannot remain silent and I will not stop praying for her, it should remind us of the passages in Hebrews describing Jesus as our great high priest, because it says in Hebrews 7.25, Jesus always lives to make intercessions for us. This is what he does. 
we have an advocate who will not stop praying for us until we're brought safely home. And his plans, built on the foundation of his prayers and his intercession, go, to, go, um, go on to promise that he will appoint watch guards, those who sit atop the walls, who will join him in his prayers over you. Now, to a Jewish resident in Jerusalem, they would be familiar with the soldiers who were posted on top of the walls surrounding the city. They were guardians whose job it was to call out whenever an enemy was approaching. But the text here says, they will pray day and night continually. Take no rest, all of you who pray to the Lord. And why is that? Because our lives are constantly under attack by the enemy, and and Satan will never give up trying to destroy and steal from our lives until his kingdom is eventually overthrown. So the watchguards that Jesus appoints are praying protection and guardianship over your lives. Can you identify watchguards in your life? But know this too, that while it's important to have watchguards praying on our behalf, I also believe that you may be appointed at any time to be a watchguard for others. It's the calling we should all be on high alert, on high alert to respond to on behalf of family, friends, and really anyone who, will come in, who we come into contact with. You see, I, I, I think it's part of what, we're, what we sign up for as Christians to intercede on behalf of others. Do you know that like Jesus, you've been given the authority to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted and, and proclaim freedom for the captors? Do you know that it's okay to say your sins are forgiven on the authority of Jesus Christ? There are many out there who are waiting to hear those words. It's a multifaceted strategy that he uses in his fight for us, shown in his determination, his prayers of intercession, and, and on the appointment of watchguards in our lives. Are you beginning to see just how much Jesus cares for you? His determined passion is not only to change us, but transform us into a beautiful crown, radiant in righteousness. He not only gives us a righteousness standing before God by transferring the righteousness of Christ to us, but if you look in verse 2, it says that we will have a visible righteousness seen by a watching world, and that kings and rulers shall be blinded by your glory. You know, when the Bible talks about glory, it's usually talking about the glory of God. But here we see that as God transforms us, his glory shines through us. And I think the suggestion here is that as we are changed, there should be something visibly different about us, noticeable to others. What does that look like? Well, for the church, I think it means unity, diversity, maturity, and growth. And I thought about getting into those topics, but I think that's a message for another day. But Holly's going to share a story that I think um, fits the concept uh, really well. So I spend a lot of time in the grocery store. And a couple of weeks ago on a Friday night, I got behind a guy at the checkout. And pro tip, always get behind a guy at the checkout. They only have a few items in their cart. (laughs) Anyway, uh, I got behind this guy at the checkout, um, and there was a woman in front of him. And uh, I hear out of the corner of my ear her say, oh, well, here's $400 cash, and uh, I guess I'll have to put the rest on a credit card. The clerk says, and then everybody hears this, "Uh, ma'am, I'm sorry, your card has been declined. 
And she's sitting there, and she's, you know, gathering herself. And she says, I'll have to return some of the items. And she starts taking things off her, out of her cart, putting them back on the, on the uh, belt. And I lean over to the clerk, the cashier. She was a former student of mine. And I said, how much does she owe? And she said, it's $70. And I'm thinking, oh, it's kind of a lot for me. And I'm sitting there. The manager's called. We start the process of taking the items back. And the guy beside me is getting a little agitated. Um, they, they take out a big bag of dog food and a few frozen pizzas. And I see those pizzas, and I'm like, I have $50. Here, take my, my debit card, and let's put it on that. And immediately, the woman starts to cry. Um, the guy is really uncomfortable now. And you know, she's like, oh, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. And I'm like, it, it's fine. I would really love to do this for you. Um, so the process continues. Uh, the transactions were completed. And then, then the manager picks up those pizzas and transfers them to the other shelf or something. And I was like, wait, wait, we need those pizzas. It's a Friday night, and you do not want to cook. And the man beside me says, I'll buy the darn pizzas. <laughs> and I was like, really? Like, it was such a beautiful moment. She leaves. The man checks out. He leaves. The woman behind me notices a mom come up with two small children, and the children say to the mom, you know how they do, mom, mom, please, 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 mom, can we have some candy? And the woman who's watched this whole scene turns to the mom of the two children, opens up her wallet, takes out $2 bills, and gives one to each child and says, you can get the candy today. And I walked out of the grocery store, forgetting to buy the pumpkins that I was supposed to buy. But I walked out, I was like, God, that was so much fun. Can we do that again? Okay. If you walk out the door every morning asking yourself, what could I do to change the world today? Don't forget that a small act of kindness could always start a revolution. Remember where we were when we found, when we, remember where we were when, we, when the Lord found us? We were once without hope and without God, but he redeemed us in Christ. He washed us in his blood, and he made us new creations. And now look what we've become, a splendid crown in the hand of God. And isn't it interesting that the picture here is not of us wearing crowns or even God wearing the crown, but it's a picture of this idea that that we are the crown. And what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means that we have dignity and worth and value. We're precious in the eyes of the Lord. He's pleased with us that he has, what he, for what he has accomplished in our lives. And we've become a symbol of his victories. And because of that, the Lord is king. And yet there are times in our lives when this transformation is still in conflict with how we perceive ourselves. Let's face it, we're no doubt conscious of our failures. We can name a thousand things that we should have done for the Lord and failed to do. We can also name another thousand things that we should not have done. And Satan, the father of lies, tells us that our failures are so great that God cannot possibly love us. So we pull away from God because as hard as we try, the situation feels hopeless. You might be saying to yourself today, I feel forsaken or I feel desolate. Yes, healing takes time and sometimes it takes a lifetime. 
But God has no delusions about the time and the effort it takes to change someone, and he's never giving up on you. Because today the Lord is telling you that your past no longer defines you. There is a great transformation already at work in your life. Take any area of growth in your life that you're discouraged about, any aspect of who you are where you you know there's a gap between who you are and conformity to the image of Christ, and know that God himself is working to narrow that gap. And one way to, to discover this is by reading the word of God, where in Timothy 3 it says, as one example, all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, correcting, and training us in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, God wants you to reclaim the blessed image in which you were originally created. And so he works in us. He delights in us. Press it again. I wonder what your view of God is today. You know, there's a kind of preaching that always tells the people of God how they ought to be and how far short they've fallen from God's standard. The impression is given that God is constantly displeased with us, and I think that this is a grave mistake. Certainly it's appropriate to preach the reality of our sin because we do fall short of God's standard every day. But the mistake comes in when we no longer live with the sense of God's pleasure over our daily lives. And I thank God that Isaiah 62 says otherwise. Because how often in chapter 1 of Genesis, after God spoke something into existence, did he say, and it was good? You see, he's pleased with his creation. And here in Isaiah 62, we hear echoes of that when God says, my delight is in her. And then we get this imagery of marriage, which indicates commitment. It's the first time that Israel is called the bride of God. This new name signifies a change in our relationship with God. It signifies a deep love for his people with honeymoon joy. The way that a bridegroom rejoices over the bride on her wedding day is the way that God rejoices over us. Consider the love that has for you, consider the love that God has for you as honeymoon joy. But even though Zion's wedding day is a joyous day for God's people, it's an even more joyful day for the bridegroom himself. Let's call it Calvary joy, for on that day he claimed his bride. Alec Maltier wrote this about Calvary. We think about the intended humiliation and actual pain of the crown of thorns, but to the Lord Jesus it was a bridegroom's priestly headdress. The picture of the bedraggled and bloodstained seamless robe that he wore to Calvary, but to him it was a wedding garment. Now, I'm sure most of us, myself included, um, it might be kind of hard to wrap our mind around the idea that what happened to Jesus on Calvary could be seen as joyous. The images of what most of us remember when it comes to wedding days is the exact opposite of what Jesus endured. But for Jesus, there was joy in Calvary because he was winning his bride. You see, Jesus endured the cross because of the joy that was set before him. We can't begin to fathom the pain he had to bear but neither can we enter into that joy. What we can do is allow our hearts to be moved to tears, knowing this is how much we mean to him. And at the closure of this chapter, we see a reference to the second coming of Jesus where it says, see, he brings his reward with them as he comes. 
This is a reference to Judgment Day when the rewards of God will be given out to the people of God. But let's look at these final four names because they're very significant. A holy people. Because it's the Lord who works in us, remember, it's his righteousness and not the sin that, and not sin that define us. Our failures are no longer our main characteristic. The redeemed of the Lord, because he has brought us back, he claims us and has paid all of our debts. We have forgiveness of trespasses in accordance with the richness of his grace. Sought out? Well, we sing about it often enough that we did not find God. He found us. He sought us out. And a city not forsaken? Remember, Jesus died and and bled on the cross. He was willing to sacrifice his life so that we would no longer see ourselves as forsaken. Lift your eyes heavenward and see what the Lord has done. I don't know how else to say it, but he likes you. He likes you a lot. (laughs) Let me wrap it up with his final thoughts. My hope is that by looking at the names found in Isaiah 62 that we would find rest in the miraculous love that God has for each one of us. Our God is not a quitter. He doesn't set out to do something and then give up halfway through. He loves us with the love that's determined to bring us home to glory. And let me share this story to show you how much we might apply these names to our lives. This testimony has to do with spiritual gifts. How many of you have gone through growth track here at Shiloh? I went through it about four years ago. You'll remember that part of the training involves discussing your, or discovering your spiritual gifts. Well, after filling out the questionnaire and looking at the results, I wasn't surprised by my top three. They were craftsmanship, service, and helps. They fell in line with my passion and education in design and my comfort level with serving others in the background. But they all required physical ability, and I've lost that ability over the last six years. So recognizing, that these, spirit, so recognizing these spiritual gifts and the fact that I was unable to, f- to fulfill them only added to my frustration. And all this coincided with a time in my life where, I was, where I'd started to withhold myself from God because I was so disappointed with the way things were turning out. My prayer life was basically nil, and I wasn't spending any time in the Word. But then I remembered a sermon I heard years ago by Bishop T.D. Jakes where he said to his congregation that if you're ever in a place where you can't, for whatever reason, put into practice the spiritual gifts that you're most familiar with, the ones you're most comfortable with, then it's time to dig deeper and discover what else it was, what else it is that God has packed down inside of you. God has created you to do so much more than you're comfortable with and so much more than you think you're capable of. And remember, they're his gifts anyway, and he'll do with them as he pleases. So when I went back to the, to the assessment worksheet, and when I looked down the list to see what spiritual gifts were number four and five, they were exhortation and faith. And this kind of blew me away because of the change that I've seen in my life lately, where I found a renewed strength and a deepening interest in the Word of God. Because you see, the definition of exhortation is the divine strength or ability to encourage others through the written or spoken word and biblical truth. And the definition of faith is the divine strength or ability to believe in God 
for unseen supernatural results in every arena of life. At a time in my life when I was calling myself other names like without purpose, sidelined, useless, God was declaring a different name, and that name was redeemed. He declares, I can take these circumstances of your life and the other gifts that I've packed down inside of you and redeem this situation. And because of and because he says my grace is sufficient, I'll also help you with the frustration and disappointment too. The name that I would claim from this list today is people redeemed by the Lord because he's redeeming this time in my life and he's also showing me how in many ways he prepared me in advance for it. So to wrap things up, what I thought we would do for us is to read the names together as a congregation. I understand that we're hearing some of these names for the first time, and that's okay. I believe that if the Holy Spirit is prompting you to claim one of these names without fully understanding the meaning, don't worry, it will become, clear, it will become clearer over time. So Holly's going to read the list, and please join along and, uh, and read through the list with us. A splendid, splendid crown, crown in the, the hand, hand of, of God. God. The, the city, city of God's, God's delight. delight. A, a watchguard. The bride of God, God, the holy people redeemed by the Lord, sought sought out, no no longer longer forsaken. And now I thought we might just take a few minutes to close our eyes and uh, create a little space for um, for the Holy Spirit to to move and speak to us and uh, to guide and direct our, our thoughts and our hearts. of Isaiah 62 were spoken over Israel 2,700 years ago and promises of God and the, and the promises of God restored Israel at that time. They're timeless words capable of having an impact in people's lives at any given moment and I hope that upon hearing them read to, again we can become empowered and restored by them as well. Amen. And Holly's, Holly's going to close us out in prayer. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this day and this beautiful message. We are your children. You call us each by name. You have sought us out. You have redeemed us. Help us step into being the splendid crown you've created us to be, to shine your light in this broken world. In Jesus' name.